Welcome to the Leader Manager Coach Podcast, your weekly podcast where we take a deep dive examining knowledge, philosophies, wisdom and insights to help you to lead, manage and coach in football, sports and life. Leader Manager Coach is presented by Rob Riles. Rob is a qualified coach with a League Managers Association qualification and a science and medicine background. He has worked in the football industry in Europe, USA and Africa at international, premiership, league, non-league and grassroots levels with World Cup and European Championship experience. Hello and welcome to another edition of Leader, Manager, Coach. It's Rob Riles welcoming you to another edition. Now this week, I'm not sure, um, well I'm pretty certain that this recording will be listened to um, sometime later on, but this week as I record this, uh, we've all been, anybody interested in in the world of professional football or elite football will have been able to see some absolutely astounding play from one of the the most eminent teams that have been around in the last decade and that's obviously um Barcelona and their their talisman Lionel Messi has on a on a stage produced another astounding performance that um, maybe it's because I haven't watched Messi for a little while and maybe his absolute genius and his abilities have slipped through my memory cells a little bit and having watched him, I actually think he's matured and he's better at his age now than he was five years ago and that's a subjective opinion and it's only mine but his sublimity and his ability to produce almost frighteningly centimetre accurate passes with movement, with timing to arrive at the right place at the right time for somebody travelling at full pelt, full tilt to receive that ball. And his ability to get into positions and to have this time and absolute mastery almost of the ball is is something to behold and it brought back the old questions of well who who is the greatest player that's ever been and questions like well who is therefore your favorite player because your favorite player or your favorite sports star or your icon or the person who you aspire to be like the most or you even admire in terms of your sport may not necessarily be the best in the world or be a candidate for being best in the world. But it's brought up an awful lot of questions and I thought it, well, I thought it worth exploring these in a in a podcast a little bit. Um, I think everybody needs needs heroes and everybody needs people to look up to and people who inspire us. And it's almost like we can't help who inspires us. Um, as I mentioned, probably in my very first podcast in this series, as a as a young child, I sat there on my grandmother's settee and on a grainy colour TV set that was nothing like the quality that we get to look at today. I watched a tiny Scotsman in a red shirt orchestrate, or so I thought, and so it appeared to me to be, uh, and it a phenomenal victory in an FA Cup final. And he he became one of my heroes. And 
you know, I'm sure you can put yourself in the situation. Who are your heroes? Who are the people who inspired you? Who are the people that you look up to and absolutely admire in your sport? And that, that vein, if you like, was brought to me in a post this week that I saw on social media. And um, it's by a guy that hopefully we're going to be able to interview on the podcast at some point. And I'll, uh, I won't extrapolate too much. But this guy said, went on, was talking about his life and talking about certain aspects of it and the greatest influences on him. And he said, just like many people of my generation, Muhammad Ali was my icon. Muhammad Ali was the person that I just absolutely admired. But, and the but is that Muhammad Ali could not, according to this guy, in this guy's words, could not hold a candle to get anywhere near to my dad. Um, And I just thought, well, what a profound statement and what a wonderful situation to be in to have somebody as as enormous, as powerful, as as iconic as iconic as Muhammad Ali and to live in that era when Muhammad was in his prime. And yet at the same time to have the insight and the loving relationship with your with your own father to be able to say, well, he couldn't hold a candle to my dad. And I just thought that what a wonderful what a wonderful state of mind. And um that took me on to it to another another conversation I had. There was a there was a gentleman who I worked with for probably over a decade when I was fortunate enough to be working in the England youth setup with the elite international youth teams. And there was a guy there who'd seen probably in excess of 2000 youth elite youth football games. Who'd been around the FA for many, many, many years who knew many England players personally and had great relationships with many of them. And he was somebody who was extremely in, interested in, in the, the journey of the player, how the player got from where they were to where they wanted to be. And one of the questions he used to ask the players, whether that was in social situations or it was, you know, in, in, a, in more of an official situation when he was doing his research, was to ask them who was the person who influenced them most in their career. Because I think that everybody needs influencers, everybody needs support systems. And it's one of those profound questions that that really is a real interesting one if you can find the backstory to it. And what was so amazing about the outcome of this question to these to these elite players, people who'd made it to the top of their game, represented their country at their sport, was who was the person who influenced you most in your career and, and so many of them said it was my mum. And initially that came as a little bit of a shock, but because, you know, you kind of expect him to say, well, it was this coach or that coach or maybe even the dad, because it was possibly the dad who took them to games. But I think that's being a bit, um, having a little bit of a presupposition about things really, because it certainly isn't just dads who take take kids to, to academy games or or to practice. It's often grandparents and and mums as well, or friends even. So when I thought about it, I thought, yeah, absolutely. And when I spoke to this guy about it and we kind of had a a chat about why that, that was, 
it was quite simple, really, or it seemed to be quite simple that mum was the the steady, the steady ever present. Mum was the always there, always doing the the mundane routine, simple things that get taken for granted so much. Always in the home, always putting the tea on the table, always smoothing things over. And whether you agree with it or not, or whether you think there's a there's an element of being a what sometimes people call a helicopter parent, where you're always hovering over your over your children and not allowing them to grow up and take responsibility for their own lives, they're always there to support and just soothe the situation. And just to paint a little picture, how how often is it that? And it's just a story, it's just a picture, and it's not always true for everybody because everybody's situation is a little different. But how often is it that a a young academy player goes to practice with his dad, his dad watches the practice, and on the way home his dad analyses the practice and in an effort to help his son offers what he thinks is constructive criticism. And by the time the kid gets home, not only has has he had the coach advising him, He's now got his dad advising him, all in the best interests, of course. But how does that young man feel at the end of a day when he got up probably at 6.30 in the morning, got himself ready, went to school, came home, had a, a bowl of cereal or something like that, and then went to practice an hour in the car, did his training. It's already 7 or 8 o'clock at night and gets in the car and he's already been up for 14 or 16 hours and he's still got somebody telling him about how he should be playing football when actually... Is that what he really signed up for? And he gets home and his mum's there. Maybe his mum's made him some toast or made him something a little bit uh, nutritious before he goes to bed. And she just sits and listens and doesn't offer any advice. And maybe that's the kind of scenario that um, paints the picture of why so many elite players always said, well, you know, I owe it all to my mum. I just thought it was such a profound thing that I uh, I felt compe- compelled to share that. and. To link it in with, with who are the influences in, in your life? Or conversely, who do you influence? And are you influencing them the right way? Because if you're a coach, if you're a leader and you're a manager, you will be an influencer, whether you, whether you know it or not, whether you like it or not, you are an influencer. In fact, you are an influencer with everybody you have a relationship with. And it's often our shortcomings that make us take a step back and look and reanalyze how we influence people and how we facilitate their progress or how we hold them back. And I honestly believe it's a constant, constant feedback process of aiming to get better and aiming to improve and aiming to, sometimes it's just a word. Sometimes it's no words at all. Sometimes it's your body language. Sometimes it's the way you look at somebody. Sometimes it's the way that you spend time with them. It it doesn't have to be verbal. In fact, words don't teach half as much as we think they do. And it's often experience, isn't it, that teaches. How many times when we look back at our own lives, I'm sure you can put yourself in this situation. You were told this and you were told that and your parents said this and your advisor said that. And you still went and did it anyway because that's what your heart told you. And you learn by experience because really and truly is experience the only teacher? Maybe it is. So being an influencer isn't necessarily 
being verbal. It may just being present. And I think that's what a lot of the players were saying when they talked about their their mum. Just being present and having that aura of of calmness, of being able to soothe situations and being a supporter um, is is often all that is needed and is such a valuable, valuable resource. And going on from that, linking into that, it's talking about influencers. Um, it's about, I'll tell you a little story about about this influence thing, just to just to just to extrapolate it a bit, and, and let's paint a little bit of a picture. Um, often in academy football and young football, it's it's a tough industry at times, and it's about performance, and it's about competition, and it's about achieving. And whether that's you agree with that or not, or whether you like it or not, there are times during a journey when a certain a certain player for lots and lots of reasons doesn't achieve a certain level of of performance and they leave leave the arena if you like they leave the academy and they have to be told that at this point in time they are not achieving what they need to achieve to maintain a place and be considered an appropriate candidate for a scholarship or for a professional contract and having to do that with with young young people is a challenge and to sit down with young people who have essentially with their carers their parents their guardians have put their whole life or their heart and soul into something for four five six seven eight even more years and that sometimes is a challenge and there is no shying away from it. It has to be done. And in that process, you often engage people at, at quite emotional deep levels and have have conversations with people that you would not necessarily or probably would never have had had you not had to engage in such a conversation. And on a couple of occasions, having had to engage in this process with players and their parents, their guardians, and sit down across the table from a young 13-year-old, look into his eyes and say, look, you're great at this, you're great at that, you're great at the other, you've got this talent, you've got that talent. However, at this level, things are plateauing out um, for, you know, we've had a multidisciplinary team meeting, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, you know, at this point in time, we feel that it's most appropriate that we release you from your, from your current contract and um, wish you all the best. And however you however you paint the picture, however you soften it up, it's tough words. And in those times, I've engaged in conversations with young people, the players themselves, and with their parents, their guardians, that have opened up conversations and communications that and, and have enlightened me on aspects of life and aspects of the people's character that I didn't know and I'd worked with these people for maybe two years but worked with them on a on a Wednesday night and a Friday night or a Thursday night or a Monday night and a Saturday or a Sunday in the games in the football and had the communications etc etc and you think you know them quite well but until you get into those deep conversations there's lots of things that you don't know and 
what's enlightened me is the fact that there is so much more to people than we actually think. And there's so much more to people than we actually know. And it's about having that time, which is not always available in our schedules. It's having that time to be able to bring those conversations out so that you can get to know people. And I honestly think that if we had the time or we created the time or we made the time to be able to get to know people at that level, then we would almost be willing to invest more time into a player than we actually think. Because sometimes I've had the experience where the decision has been made to release somebody because they haven't achieved a certain level after input and input and input and input. And then at the release stage, the release process, the final conversation, that leads on to a late night conversation on the telephone or something of that nature. And you actually find out that there's more to this person than you actually knew about. And I've actually had the emotion where I thought, I'm not actually sure that we are making the right decision here. And often that can be because there's an, there's an influence behind the scenes that is, is, is quite pertinent. And you find something out that you didn't know before. So it's really important that we get to know our players. And it's really important we get to know the people who are influencing them. You know, what's their what's their relationship with their mum or their dad or their uncle or their aunt who brings them to training, their grandparents, so that we can get the whole picture because the more of the backstory you've got, the more you understand the people who influence them, the more you understand their support network because everybody needs support networks, then the, the more chance you've got of infiltrating that person and influencing that young person to help them on their on their journey. I thought that was a that was a little bit of an insight into into the people who influence and who influences and who the players see as their as their biggest influences. And ultimately, I think that links to what else I wanted to talk about. And that's only because I've again, although we've already done podcasts on on this guy, we've done the podcast on on John Wooden, the great great basketball coach who is considered to be the number one all time coach for his his philosophies and, and his successes in the game and, and what he did. And what is so amazing about this guy is he he produced results for the teams that he he worked for that are almost beyond comparison in terms of his winning records. But what is almost equally as amazing is he did not focus on results. He focused on performances and character and doing your best at the time and he also focused on his own team only so almost exclusively he did not pay any attention whatsoever to what other teams were doing what the league status was what their inputs were what they were about what they were doing in their training sessions he focused absolutely entirely on what he believed in and what his team, he wanted his teams to do. In fact, if the literature that I've read is correct, all through his sporting 
career, all through the seasons that he coached basketball, which were many, many, many into the decades, he, his teams essentially played the same way with a high, I think they call it a high forecourt press, where you press and press and press and press and press and press so that the opposition doesn't have any time on the ball. That, as far as I know, is the way that he played his basketball. So he focused on being the very best coach that he could be. He focused on accessing as many resources as he could and influencing those resources, being absolutely efficient with his time on making his players work to their maximum to be the best players they could be in their positions and at the same time facilitate their evolution into real strong characters. People who could withstand the knocks of life. People who could endure what life throws at you sometimes so that you didn't just, he just didn't just end up with a group of basketball players who were good. He ended up with a group of people who were good people who could play basketball. And he focused entirely on that. And I honestly believe that that's why he became the most celebrated or eminent coach in, in the world of sport because he focused all his life quietly, consistently. He didn't shout about it. He didn't go on social media about it. He didn't search for the TV or the limelight. He just got on and did what he wanted to do. The fact that the world ended up thinking it was amazing is an absolute byproduct. And that's the point that I want to make because it's so easy in our world today with the access to information and with the information that's thrown at us and the statistics and the analysis and the TV and the YouTube and everything else to see and watch and get mesmerized by what other people are doing. It, it's easy, easy, easy to be in a state of mind where you think little old me against the whole world and the whole world's doing this and the whole world is doing that and the whole world is doing the other and here's little old me trying to do my thing. Well, here's some good news. The good news is that there's only one you. The good news is that there is only you with your characteristics, your thought processes, your philosophies and your influences and your backstory. And the only thing that you can do is be the very, very, very best you you can possibly be. Now, I'm not talking about taking away commitment. I'm not talking about hard work. Why I'm talking about is finding that peace of mind. And I don't mind holding my hand up and, took it and saying it took me a long time to get to this point whereby I stopped trying to be like other people. I stopped trying to be like other people were because I was just trying to be something that I, I naturally wasn't inclined to be but what it was I'm inclined to be was me in my own skin with my own influences and my own thought processes a better me than anybody else could ever be and Ralph Waldo Emerson the, the famous author said to be yourself in a world that is constantly trying to make you something else is the greatest accomplishment and I think if we look at that what he's saying is is the world with all its advertising and all its media and all the talk and hype out there will try and will actually create for you a mindset that actually 
you have to be like this and this is where success is and this is where it's great and this is where it's all good. Well, actually, that is that is a road a road to unhappiness and dissatisfaction. The satisfaction is in being yourself and being finding your own happiness at where you are. It's not about the level that you get to because you you will find your own level because you will only ever be the best you being yourself. And it doesn't mean you shouldn't aspire to be like somebody else in terms of their characteristics. You can admire people and say, do you know what? That's amazing. That's great. I can look to do a backhand like Roger Federer. I can look to, 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 to dunk basketballs like Magic Johnson, or I can look to throw baseballs like whoever, or I can look to, to organize teams like Jose Mourinho or Sir Alex Ferguson, or whoever your coach is, or the person you admire. There's nothing wrong with that. You can take little aspects from here, there, and everywhere. But ultimately, the whole thing is down to you with all your millions of little facets that make you the very best you that you can be. And I think that's that, that's a characteristic that goes through so many people. Vince Lombardi was like that. He didn't care what people thought about him. He just became the greatest baseball coach that ever was. Brian Clough didn't care about that. Cloughy was exuded confidence and did things almost opposite to what everybody else used to do, but won European Cups with players that cost very little, but actually ruled Europe. And Shakespeare said it, didn't he? He said, you know, above all else to thine own self be true. And ultimately, not only will that bring you success, it will actually bring you happiness as well and ultimately isn't that what life's all about and lastly the last story is again I think we've mentioned it before is is the, the infamous author Stephen King who has sold so many millions of books it's almost untrue and he he got so many letters of rejection that he used to stick them on a nail and when he he he, he the nail on the wall became too small. He couldn't fit any more letters on it. He got a, apparently, it is a true story, he got a railway spike, nailed that into the wall and stuck the letters on that. And that's how many letters of rejection he got on his way to becoming one of the the world's most successful authors, the best-selling authors of all time. And he did it in his basement. And... Um, Cal Newport talks about it and it's talked about in a book called Deep Work again that's Cal Newport's book it talks about and I think it references Stephen King where they say you need to find that space in your environment in your life where it's not a glorious air-conditioned sunlit top story penthouse office suite where you are labelled with a plant and your name on the door as a highly successful top of your game multimillionaire. That is not where your working arena is. Your working arena to be the best you can be might be a muddy field with bushes all round that you have to keep going and fetching your footballs out of and getting scratched and caught on little bits of barbed wire and hawthorns and climbing up muddy banks with those footballs so your players can play with them again. 
or it might be getting your your athletes to swim in a cold swimming pool that's not salubrious, that's not heated to the absolute correct degree and hasn't got a jacuzzi, or it might be running on a cold, wet Tuesday night through puddles and through dimly lit streets on your way to your own personal victory. Or it might be writing your session plan or your analysis or your book or anything else that you are doing on your kitchen table in a small room with one bulb lighting your table. You know, your basement, your arena, your area, that's you. And that is your own sacred ground to, for you to become what it is that you want to become yourself. It certainly isn't about what anybody else thinks. It's all about you becoming the best you. Thought I'd share that. Hope you uh, enjoyed it. And um, say, I hope you can get something out of that. It's Rob Riles. It's leader, manager, coach. If you want to catch up with me, it's www.robriles.co.uk. Um, I'm on Facebook. I'm uh, on LinkedIn. So if you've got some comments, there's anything you'd like to, you'd like to um, talk about, let me know and uh, love to catch up with you. All right. Great stuff. Thanks for listening. Always appreciate your time. Catch you again. Bye-bye.